Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. There was help for the tax collector when he said in Luke 18.13, Luke 18.13, the publican, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if that tax collector had said, you know, God, you know, I live in a very bad environment. Everyone is stealing money, so I stole money. If he would have said that, no help. No help for him. He had to say the words, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there was help, as we were talking about, for King David in Psalm 51, 4, in Psalm 51.4, when David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil. I did this evil in thy sight. And if David would have said something like, oh, Lord, you know, I was under a lot of stress with the wars here, the wars there, wars everywhere. And I had to manage all those wars. And the problem with the, the whole Bathsheba's affair, she left her window open. That was the problem. Uh, bathing herself with the window open. What's the matter with her? That's why I did what I, if he would have said that, no help. No help for David. He had to own up and say, I sinned. And those are the hardest words for anybody to say. I sinned. Because there's no help unless a person says, I sinned. There's no help if we sit there and say, he sinned. That's not going to work. So this is why it was so important in, in Matthew 121, that word there. He shall save his people from their sins. When we look at the suffering, as we have been in Psalm 22, when we look at the sufferings and the death of the Lord, and you really get into it as we have been doing and as we do in Psalm 22, as it enables us to do, really get into the details of it all, it makes no sense. The sufferings and the death of the Lord makes no sense unless we individually get in line with the word we in Isaiah 64, 6, the word we in Isaiah 64, 6, which says, but we are all as an unclean thing. We're not just sinners. We're dirty, rotten sinners. The unclean thing, the unclean part. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do fade as the leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Unless we line up with we, then the death of the Lord doesn't make any sense. As it says in Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah 53, 6, all we, that's personal ownership, personal taking, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that shows the very specific the very personal sins when it says we have turned everyone to his own way. 
If a person says to God, well, you know, if a person just says to God, well, okay, yeah, I'm a sinner, or I have sinned, and so when a person says to God, well, I'm a sinner, then you can almost hear God say, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I'm a sinner. What do you mean? Well, I have sinned. What did you do? What did you do? See, that this is what God led Adam in Genesis 3.11. Genesis 3.11. He said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? It's so important. Be specific. In Ezra, Ezra 10.11, when he got all the people together who had the marriages they shouldn't have done with all the heathen people around. And he gets all the people together, and Ezra says to them, Ezra 10.11, Ezra 10.11, Now therefore make confession unto the Lord, God of your fathers, and do his pleasure. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wife. So this is the tragedy of life. The tragedy of life is personal sin. That's the tragedy of life. The tragedy of life is the personal sin that is described in 2 Samuel 14, 14. 2 Samuel 14, 14 starts off very depressing in 2 Samuel 14, 14 when it says, for we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground. So we're going from depression to depression, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person. So that's very, very depressing. We are going to die. We can't recover from it. And it's going to happen to each one of us and there's no... Exemptions. But fortunately, the verse doesn't finish there because it says, yet doth he, this is God, doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. The problem, first of all, he starts off, the problem with death is that described as we must needs die and there is water spilt on the ground which cannot be recovered. You know that, we talked about it, that's a cover that's a picture of water being spilt on the ground. You can't get it back. You can't recover it again. This last week, two of my lost friends said to me, I don't know how many days I have to live. It was uncanny. Both of them said the same thing to me. I don't know how many days I have to live. Such a depressing statement. We must needs die. Endure as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Now, in fact, one of my friends said, every one of us is going to die. Big revelation. In 2 Samuel 14, 14, it says, neither doth God respect any person. So it's pretty depressing there. The death is final. It's a loss of life that can't be recovered again. And the second statement is that you can't get a pass. You know, neither doth God respect any persons. You can't say, you know, I'd rather just have lunch instead. No one's going to come to God and say, oh, God, not me, not me. I'm different. I'm special. I've done a lot of good things. I don't want to die. Please don't let me die. I don't want to lose my life. And if that was everything I had to say right now, that would lead to a pretty depressing day. But fortunately, the wonder of wonders is where God says, yet, in 2 Samuel 14, 14, yet, doth he devise means. What is that? God has divided a means. God has made a way. And this is the means that this hymn wonderfully speaks about when it says, love found a way. Love found a way. You could say love found a means. You know, wonderful love that rescued me, sunk deep in sin, guilty and vile as I could be, no hope within. When every ray of light had fled, oh, glorious day, raising my soul from out the dead, love found a way. Love found a way to redeem my soul. Love found a way to make me whole. Love sent my Savior, my Lord, to the cross of shame. 
Love found a way. Oh, praise his holy name. That's what is being spoken of in 2 Samuel 14, 14. It's love found a way. Yet doth he devise means that is banished, be not expelled from him. It's these means. What are the means? The means is the cross. The cross is the means. That was the way that God devised, the means that God devised to redeem man's soul. It was the cross that God devised to make man whole. What did the cross do as the means that he devised? That his banished be not expelled from him. That's quite a word, banished. That describes everyone who dies without God's means of rescue. They are banished from him. They are cast into hell. This is a, the Matthew 7.23, Matthew 7.23, when he said, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Banished. Or Matthew 25.41, Matthew 25.41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Banished. Depart from me, banished. That's what hell is. It's the place where the banished from God's presence are. The good news is, is 2 Peter 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the great news is, in 1 Timothy 2, 4, 1 Timothy 2, 4, God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, that's why 2 Samuel 14, 14 is so wonderful when it says, yet God devised means that his banishment be not expelled from. So you put the mix together. You mix, you mix 2 Samuel 14, 14 together with 2 Peter 3, 9. You mix them together and it would come out like this. The Lord is not willing that any should be banished from him. The Lord is not willing that any should be expelled from him, but that all men should come to repentance. And you mix together the second Samuel 14, 14 and the first Timothy 2, 4, first Timothy 2, 4, and it comes out like this. God will have all men to be in his presence and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, then, so the angel is telling all this to Joseph that he's going to save his people from their sins and Joseph's thinking about it. And then the angel says to Joseph in verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by, of the Lord, by the prophet, saying, now, when we read this in verse 22, don't think that this is Matthew stepping in and says, now you know what, all this was done. For. No, no, no. This is still the angel talking. This is the angel still talking to Joseph and saying, he's going to save his people from their sins. And by the way, this is a fulfillment of this. So the angel is telling Joseph, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was made over 700 years ago about 740 years ago. And the prophet, it's interesting because the prophet, it says it was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. The prophecy was given by the prophet Isaiah to a very wicked king, Ahaz, a very wicked king. And the situation behind when this prophecy was given was that Israel was being threatened with destruction from Syria. Syria was about to annihilate, destroy Israel. Syria had come up with their final solution. And so through Isaiah, God tells Ahaz to ask a sign. Ask a sign from God. God says, go ahead, ask a sign. And in other words, what's the solution for Israel? Because Israel's going to be destroyed by Syria. So Ahaz, the wicked king, he says, no, I'm not going to do it. 
So in Isaiah 7.11, Isaiah 7.11, it says, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the deep or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. So then God said that, okay, he was going to give the sign to Ahaz, and it's this prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is the prophecy that the angel tells Joseph that's being fulfilled in the birth of the son that he's going to name Jesus. We can imagine Joseph, he's thinking back to the situation, you know, of King Ahaz, and Israel is in the threat of being destroyed, and it's like a perfect setting for God. It's a perfect illustration, because just as the Jewish people were in danger of being destroyed by Syria, now the Jewish people are in danger of being destroyed because of their own sin. And so God tells the Haz that a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and he's going to be named Emmanuel. Now, when you go on and keep reading in Isaiah chapter 8, then you come to find out that prophetess conceives and has a son and doesn't name him Emmanuel, but uh, it says in Isaiah 8.3, Isaiah 8.3, I went unto the prophetess and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, call his name Maher Shalah Hashbaz. Okay, you can be thankful you don't have that name. Better to have Tom or something. So, you know, before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father, my mother, the riches of Damascus, the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So the child is born, Syria is destroyed, but Assyria. And that was a partial fulfillment of this prophecy, but it was only partial because there was no virgin involved. There was no virgin conceived. It was just the birth of a son. Now we come to the time of the complete fulfillment when a virgin does conceive. Now, by the way, the Greek here in Matthew leaves no doubt that this word is virgin. It's the word parthenos, which means independent birth. In other words, like a spontaneous generation, parthenos means virgin. That's what it means. And what's interesting is that when the 70 rabbis made the Septuagint, they all got together in Alexandria, Egypt, hundreds of years before the birth of the Lord Jesus, and they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And when they came to this verse in Isaiah 7, 14, they translated the Hebrew word, which is Alma, into the word Parthenos, which is the same one that's used in Matthew. It means virgin. So it shows that the common thinking among the Jewish people was that Isaiah 7, 14 is referring to a virgin that's going to conceive, and that's the great sign that a virgin is going to conceive. Now, by the way, the word Alma used in uh, Isaiah 7, 14, it's used six other times besides Isaiah 7.14 in the Old Testament. It's used in Exodus 2.8 when it's referring to the little young sister of Moses, Miriam, when Moses is born. It's referred to, the word is used in, in Proverbs 30.19 when it refers to an unmarried woman that's being courted by a man. It's referred to in Genesis 24.43, 24.43, when it's referring to Rebekah, who is specifically said that she didn't know a man intimately. And then it's referred to twice, Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon 1.3, 1, 1.3 1, and 6.8, 6, 6.8, and it's referring to young women. And in 68, Psalm 68.25, Psalm 68.25, Alma refers to young women that are playing timbrels. So from all these references, it's clear that the primary meaning of the word Alma is virgin. It's virgin, but it could also mean a young woman. And the 70 rabbis, they didn't have any doubt about it. They translated it that way. 
But the amazing part of the prophecy, of course, the virgin birth is the amazing part, but it's that his other name that's given is his name is Jesus, but now his name here, his other name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what we said before is that actually this is three Hebrew words that are meshed together. Im, the first part, im, that means with or together. Anu means our, it's possessive, our, and El means God. So it's Im Anu El. This is what this means. In other words, the literal translation of this would be our togetherness with God. And that's what makes Emmanuel such a wonderful name because it's the word Anu, ours. It's ours. The Lord Jesus is our togetherness with God. It's so personal. We're not together with God because we were born in a Christian family. We're not together with God because we were baptized as an, as an infant of the parents' Calvinism for the child. No, we're not that way. We're not together with God because it was our fate or predetermination by God. We're not together with God because of any good works that we've done in our lives. We're not together with God because of any particular church that we attend. The only reason that anybody is together with God is because of Emmanuel, because of this person, because of Jesus. He is our togetherness with God. He's our Emmanuel. And only from our union with the Lord Jesus Christ are we together with God. And that decision of our union was strictly 100% on each person's shoulders. It's the personal decision to believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the name Emmanuel is so important, and yet it's so easily overlooked. I mean, I grew up attending the largest synagogue in Beverly Hills, and it was called, it is called, Temple Emmanuel. Temple Emmanuel. Well, you know, where'd you go? I go to Temple Emmanuel. I never thought about what does Emmanuel mean? <laughs> That's just Temple Emmanuel. That's where you go. I never thought about what does that mean, God with us? As a matter of fact, at Temple Emmanuel, when we had, when we all went to the Jewish camp, Camp Hess Kramer, and there was many temples that came together, very poor setting on the beach of Malibu. But at Camp Hess Kramer, uh, we were all sitting around one night with the rabbi. It was get real with the rabbi night. And, you know, the campfires there were all sitting around. You could ask the rabbi any question that you wanted to. And so I asked the question, where was God during the Nazis? Was God with us? I think I might have put it that way. Was God with us during the Nazis? You know, and that's when, you know, he gave me this answer. You don't understand. God's very busy. He has a lot of things going on. But okay, if he's busy, I'm busy for him too anyway. But I never thought about, you know, what does this mean, Emmanuel? But it's really, when it's Emmanuel, it's really what he is referring to in John 14.6. In John 14.6, where it says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, there's no togetherness with God except by me. I am your togetherness with God. And this is what's meant when Peter said in 1 Peter 3.18, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that he might bring us to God, that he might make us together with God, that he might be our Emmanuel, our togetherness with God. In Ephesians 2.18, Ephesians 2.18, it says, through him we have access unto the Father. Through him we have a togetherness with God. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling 
the world unto himself. He was doing the work of bringing us together with him that his banished should not be expelled from him. What's a wonderful name, Emmanuel. And that's why this name is so much more excellent than any name that any angel could have, which is what's said in Hebrews 1.4, Hebrews 1.4, being so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This is an ex- more excellent name, is Emmanuel. We read now about Joseph's response. Joseph is told to do these things, and you, know, you don't want to overlook these last two verses in this chapter. They're very important when it says in verse 24, Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took unto him his wife, knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph, in these last two verses, he obeys the angel. He obeys God. And when he does that, he takes his place among the others in the Bible who believed and obeyed. They trusted and obeyed. Like Noah, when he was told to build an ark, and it says in Genesis 6.22, Genesis 6.22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. And just like Abraham, when Abraham got his famous lech lecha, in other words, go, you go out of your, uh, your home and your country and your family. And then it says in Genesis 12.4, Genesis 12.4, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And then when Abraham was told, you take your son Isaac and you kill him, you sacrifice him. And it says in Genesis 22.3, Genesis 22.3, Abraham rose up early in the morning and went unto the place of which God had told him. When Moses, see, Joseph takes his place with Moses, when God told Moses, build this tabernacle, build this tabernacle. And there's several places in Exodus 40. Exodus 40, particularly verse 16, verse 16, Exodus 40, verse 16. Thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And Naaman the prophet, and oh, a rough start, Naaman, oh, we finally came around. Naaman the Syrian, Naaman the captain, Naaman the captain, in 2 Kings 5.14, 2 Kings 5.14, says, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. You see all these people in the scripture. Thus did he, and Joseph takes his place. Joseph takes his place, he obeys God, he becomes a friend of God. When he does this, he becomes a friend of God. When we do that, we become a friend of the Lord Jesus, like the Lord Jesus said in John 15, 14, John 15, 14, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the obedience of Joseph. Thank you so much, Lord, for this history of our Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that he is our Emmanuel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. 
You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God study Bible and hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.